My name is Micah. It's a joy to be with you this morning. And I'm going to be bringing the Word of God to us from the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right in the beginning of the New Testament there. Now, uh, we finished up our series in Colossians, so we're going to be starting a new series for Advent this week. And the focus of our series is going to be looking at the theme of Scripture of light into darkness, light into darkness. And we're going to be looking at some of the the beautiful biblical stories that define Jesus as the light and understanding who Jesus is as the light, how we can follow that light, how we too are called to be the light, and how we are called to share the light. And so that's the, the, the framework for our series in Advent today. And as we jump into this theme of light into darkness, who here can think of a memory where they were stuck in absolute darkness? What's a place that you've been in where it was absolute darkness? Anyone think of memories or places that they've been in? Yeah. Yeah, forest, cabin and caves. Yeah. Yeah, tunnels in the highway. Those are pretty exciting at times. Do you do the hold your breath through the tunnel as long as you can, right before you pass out driving? It's not good to do if you're the driver, but what are some other dark places? Yeah, diving in the ocean at night. My goodness, being on the ocean at night in general is like one of the darkest experiences you could ever experience. I grew up on Vancouver Island, so being out of the ocean in the middle of the night in pitch black, that's a pretty scary feeling. But, yeah. Oh yeah, Don knows where Esperanza was. That was by where I grew up. So, uh, one of the, the fascinating stories that I have is uh, cave tubing. Has anyone heard of this before? It was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had in my life. Rebecca and I were down in Belize with family, and uh, we did something called cave tubing. And basically, we went through five different systems of caves that had a river that basically went through these caving systems. So you would jump on this tube and you'd be literally floating through these caves. Now it sounds pretty amazing, um, but if you've never been there before, you have no idea where you're going and the guide sort of suggests that you turn out light for a period of times. It's a pretty terrifying experience when you think about it because when you're in the middle of a cave, you already feel crazy out of control. You have no idea where to go, no idea where to see. And throw rushing water, pushing you in direction on top of that, it's a pretty wild feeling. And so it was pretty amazing. Once we would go through every system of cave, there would be this light at the end of the cave, and it would just open up to this beautiful view where we'd see the sunlight crashing in. And so here's a picture of my beautiful wife, Rebecca, with this beautiful cave opening that we'd come to. And it was such a surreal feeling because this, this intense darkness would just evaporate. It would just completely break open as we would exit one of the caves. And so you, you see this, this theme of, of, of life and even this theme of the Scripture is light gives off this sense of hope. And light gives off this sense of rescue. And and light gives off this sense of delight. And that's really the the theme that I want to be exploring as we walk through the series of of what light in the darkness actually produces. And so we're going to be looking at John verses 1, 1 to 5. 
And we're going to be looking at what it means to find the light this morning. What does it mean to find the light? Now, during this Christmas season, we, we celebrate Jesus coming as the light in the darkness. And we, we sing songs. Uh, we sing songs like Silent Night, Holy Night, where we say, Son of God, does anyone know the rest? Son of God loves pure light, right? We sing songs like Hark the Herald Angel Sings, where we say, Hail the Son of Righteousness. And what does he bring? He brings light and life. And the scriptures coincide with this beautiful theme of Jesus bringing light into the darkness. And that's the theme I want to explore together. And so let's go to John 1, verses 1 to 5. This is what the scripture says. It says, in the beginning. Now already, what does this sound like? Genesis, right? I'm going to touch on that in a minute. In the beginning was the what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? That's the word of the Lord. So think about this. Already for us who are part of the church, we already know, but who is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus, right? This is the gospel of John. This is John explaining who Jesus is, and he begins with this statement. Isn't that fascinating? Out of all the things that could be said about the life of Jesus, and even the way we read the beginning of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John has this very um, unique view and this unique story on Jesus being the light of the world. And what we have to realize is that there's the backstory here. There's a backstory to what's going on in Jesus being described as the light of the world. Uh, We've read this verse a couple times this morning, so you might have it memorized already, but this verse comes uh, before, hundreds of years before Jesus has come, and it's by the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah says, the people who have walked in darkness have seen what? They've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light is shined. And seven centuries later, Zacchaeus, the father of John the the Baptist, was filled with the Spirit, and he prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, would come. And this is what he said, the Messiah would give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And, And so Christmas then, this Christmas story is all about light coming into darkness, And when we think about the reality of the world that we live in, even as we look at the reality of our own lives, uh, we often see a sense of darkness. We see a sense of evil. We see a sense of sin. We see a sense of injustice. We see things that we long to be made right, that we feel powerless over. And John comes and reminds us that Jesus is our only hope in all those things. And so later on in the gospel, Jesus would confirm this in chapter 8 where he says, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A beautiful announcement of hope. Now, it's interesting, a better English translation of this is is just to reorder the words. Because Jesus is actually saying something quite profound here. Because he's actually saying, the light of the world I am. Now, for those of you who know your Old Testament, what does the statement I am mean? I am God. I am divine, right? And so when Jesus says this, it's a claim to divinity. And that's why in this context, the religious leaders get really mad at Jesus and accuse him of saying things that aren't true. But the statement gives its proper force. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. In other words, I am God who brings light to the darkness. I am the only hope for humanity. And so Jesus then makes this wildly exclusive claim. He's saying, I am, in other words, I am the only source of light for this world. I am the only one who possesses light that can bring about light to a dark world. And so, Jesus is basically saying, if there is going to be a light for the world, if there is going to be a hope for the world, if there's going to be things that push back the darkness of the world, it's only found in Jesus. And so what I want to do for the the purpose of this morning is really exploring what is the implications of this? What does it mean for us to understand and to worship Jesus as the light of the world? How does this affect our lives? How does it shift our worldview? How does it change our very practical daily lives? So I want to begin exploring that together. And so what does it mean to find Jesus as the light? Well, first of all, there's this beautiful description of finding Jesus as the light means we actually find a purpose and meaning in life. And so, again, look at Genesis Genesis begins by saying what words? In the beginning. John's gospel account begins by saying what words? In the beginning. There's a connection there, right? There's a a critical connection there that John is trying to make. Now, when we go back to Genesis, what's the whole Genesis story about? Light coming into darkness, right? And, And the beautiful story of Genesis is that we see this world, and it's described as empty, right? It's described as void. It's described as chaotic. There's nothing of purpose. There's nothing of meaning. There's nothing of value there. And then what does God do to that void existence? He does what? He speaks life into it. He speaks beauty into it. He he speaks order into it. He he speaks uh, systems into it. And all of a sudden, we have this beautiful cosmos created by God. And John rides that theme of Genesis where he says, as the Spirit is hovering over the water and as the Spirit says, let there be light, he's creating uh, this darkness being pushed back to build this world with meaning and purpose and value. And now when when John comes onto the scene, he's doing the exact same thing by saying that Jesus is the light in the darkness. And when we think about this, it's incredibly practical because just think about the weight and burden of meaninglessness in life. Has anyone ever experienced that or a sense of meaningless? 
I don't know what my meaning is. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I exist. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And you experience despair. You experience depression. You experience anxiety. You have all these existential crises going on in your life. There's a deep darkness to meaninglessness and purposelessness. There's a deep darkness there. And what John is reminding us, just as God does in the creation account, Jesus brings this new creation into our life that there's actually life and meaning and purpose discovered in the Christmas story. And so think of the beginning of of John again. He says that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Does anyone know the, the Greek word for word? There was a few, it's a common word, logos, right? Logos, logos, however you want to pronounce it, as long as you know what it means, you're good to go. But it's this beautiful, beautiful description that John is using here. And sometimes we as Westerners and those who know English don't really get the the depth of what's being said here by John because uh, this logos is this word that was incredibly important to Greek philosophers, Because for a Greek philosopher, there was this cultural and philosophical significance because the logos was the spiritual cosmic order or structure behind the way the world operates and runs. And so Greek philosophy, the, the whole point of it was to find these systems and structures of the material universe so we could define and describe the meaning and reason for existence. And so if you want to know as a Greek philosopher where meaning or reason for existence is found, you would seek the Lagos. And John comes and he says, all the things that you're pursuing for reason and meaning in life is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. And so... Logos was then this whole instruction manual of the universe trying to discover how to put life together and how to place it to a sense of order and purpose and meaning. And it was this pursuit that Greek philosophers had to find, again, meaning and reason for existence. Now, place that in the context of our lives. Who at times feels their lives are completely out of order? (laughs) that their lives are, are not aligning as the way you think it might, as things aren't coming together the way you thought it would be, that somehow you feel like you're acting against the way that this universe was created. And, and I've always thought of it sort of like Ikea furniture, uh, because if you know if you put together an Ikea furniture, if you don't follow the manual and the instructions exactly, what is going to happen? It's going to fall apart and it's not going to work, Right? It's not going to come together. It's just going to be a pile of screws and plastic and wood, not real wood, of course, all just in a pile of mess. It it won't come together the way it should. And, And the way that we look at our life is the exact same with the Lagos. If we don't have a system and structure in which we orient our lives around, in, in which we, we frame our lives around, our lives become disorder, chaos. And John is saying the good news is if you orient your life around Jesus, if you orient your life around the very one who created you, 
who knows how you should function and how you should live and the meaning and purpose to which you're created for, then you will get to experience what true logos is. You will find the meaning and purpose that you long for. And this is, this is important for us because so much of our culture and world and even ourselves, it's so easy for us to live with this sense of despair and not knowing what we even exist for. Um, atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel, I think I've talked to you guys about him a few times. Uh, he's a French philosopher that I've always enjoyed reading, and he wrote an essay called The Absurd. If you want to dive deep into uh, despair, The Absurd is a very good book to read. But he begins to answer the question from a philosophical point. He says, well, what's the point of it all? What's the point of existence? What's the point of life? And this is a quote from The Absurd, his essay. He says, even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read thousands of years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse. All trace of your effort will vanish. It wouldn't matter if you had never existed and after you've gone out of existence, it won't matter that you did exist. If one's life is supposed to have a point as part of something larger, it is always possible to ask, what is the point of that? In other words, life can so easily fall into purposelessness or pointlessness if we don't have a creator. If there is no God, if there is no logos, if there is no meaning behind anything we do. And so Nagel's conclusion says, life has no objective meaning and there's no reason to think we can give it meaning at all. In other words, we succumb to what Bertrand Rand Russell calls unyielding despair. And yet, what's the beauty of the gospel? Is that true? No, none of that is true. Why? Because our Creator has infused this world with meaning and purpose. And, and so I bring up John and the Logos because if you're experiencing despair, if you are experiencing emptiness and a void in your life, Jesus really is the only answer. Apart from him, Nagel is right. This world is absolutely meaningless. Yet with Jesus, he beautifully infuses light to the darkness of a meaningless existence. And so Jesus is the Logos, amen? Jesus is the Logos, the light overcoming the darkness of meaninglessness. Now, another thing that's brought up here in the Gospel of John is that when we find Jesus as the light, we actually find a hope for the world. Now, at times our world feels dark, doesn't it? At times we get to experience loneliness and hatred and lies, and we see in our world that violence and human trafficking and war are flourishing. And what's sad to say, is this anything new for the existence of humanity? Not at all actually the norm, isn't it? It's what's become normal 
for the existence of humanity. And the book of Proverbs sort of aligns this, this imagery of darkness associated with evil because Proverbs speak of people doing wrong and wicked things in the secret of night rather in the day when they will be exposed. And so, so much of the darkness of the world is associated with wickedness and injustice and evil because that's where it thrives. And what we need and what we long for is for things to be made right, for things to be made good. And so humanity throughout history, we've tried to answer this at some times and points in the power of humanity, haven't we? We say if, if humanity just gets our act together, if we educate people enough, if we create all these systems and structures that help each other, one day humanity will finally live in utopia. One day things will be made right. One thing's the world will be as it should. All the violence and evil and injustice will one day be eradicated. And yet has that happened at all? And we're pretty far along into the human existence, aren't we? And our track record has been fail, 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 fail over and over and over again, hasn't it? And so if we want to look for hope in humanity, I think that question's already sailed. And um, sociologists call this the myth of progress, where for some reason, us modernists, especially us Westerners, we, we feel like the world is becoming better. We feel like things are improving. And yet, that's an entirely a myth. We can think the world is progressing. We can think the world is getting better. But in the end of the day, there's just as much evil and injustice and wickedness as there always has been. And so we ask the question, when will the world be made right? And the answer is definitely not by humanity. Can I get an amen to that? Well, confession time for us, definitely not by humanity. But again, the prophet Isaiah reminds us that the people who've walked in darkness, in other words, we as humanity who live in the existence of darkness, the domain of darkness, the realities of darkness, there will be a light that shines into that darkness. And so when Jesus reminds us in John 8 that he says, I am the light of the world. We realize that the hope that we need that is beyond us, beyond us as humans have come. And so Timothy describes Jesus as the King of kings, the lords of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. In other words, Jesus' light, his perfection, his holiness, his wisdom penetrates all the darkness of the world. And so the only hope we have for made things, things to be made right is in I am, in Jesus, the light of the world. And, and this is really what we're trying to do in the Advent season is, is we're building an anticipation, we're, we're building this longing for the world to be made right. And sadly, so often what we spent the, the Christmas holidays celebrating and anticipating, and I'd say obviously kids are more guilty, but adults, we do this too. What's your greatest anticipation in the Christmas holiday? What are you waiting for? Presents, presents right? I want to open the presents, or sanity, right? I want to open the presents. 
I want to know what's under that tree. My goodness, we, we only have two presents under the tree right now from my mom. And Alethe is already asking me, can we open the presents today? <laughs> right? That's all she cares about right now. That's all we care about so often in this Christmas season is, is when do we get to open the presents? That's the anticipation. But the scripture and the story of Christmas leads us to something so much more profound than that. Where the anticipation, the longing that should be created in us in this Advent season is we're asking, when does the world actually get made right? When is everything that is wrong in the world actually resolved and renewed and reconciled? That, that's the longing, that's, that's the desire, that's our heart as we beat through this Advent season is this expectation and anticipation of God to finally make right what is so broken and what is so dark. And that is going to give you much more of a deep satisfaction in the season than waiting to Christmas morning to open your presents where you're probably going to be disappointed anyway, Right? Just to warn you kids, you're probably getting socks and pajamas. But there, hallelujah, right? There is a greater longing to be had, such a, such a deeper longing to be had. Now here's, here's my last thought from this text in John. It's something quite wild that John says. Verse 4 says, in him was, does anyone know? Life. In him, in other words, in Jesus was life. You want to know what life is? You look to Jesus. And the life was the light of men. In other words, the very light and life of humanity, the very essence of life is found in knowing Jesus. And I find it beautiful that life and light here are pretty connected in John's gospel. Because when you think about this, uh, can you have life? I mean, when we talk about organisms and plant life and even human life in this world, can you have light in the, or life in this world without light? No? Taking you back to grade 10 science class, anyone remember that? <laughs> we, we talk about something called photosynthesis, Right? Uh, apart from light, you can't have organisms. Apart from life, life ceases to exist. And, and so you, you think about, again, photosynthesis, it causes plants to produce food. And um, it's beautiful when we look at the creation account as well, when, when God brings about light to creation, it's more than just, oh, a sun in the sky to create some light so we can see in the darkness. No, this is what is literally producing life in this world. This is what is literally causing things to grow and to multiply and come to blood, uh, bud and to blossom. Life itself is built on sunlight. And without light, there's what? Death and nothingness. And so John is, is telling us something pretty crucial here. He's saying that if you want to experience the life and overcome the darkness and death of this world apart from God, then it has to be found in Jesus. 
And this is why John 10, later on in the, the Gospel of John, he quotes Jesus as saying, I have come, in other words, part of my mission of coming to this earth, so that they might have what? Does anyone know? Life, life and life abundantly. In other words, Jesus comes to show us what it means to be fully human. Jesus comes so that we get to experience what true life is. And so when we think of abundance life, abundant of life, we can, we can go in many different categories. And when you describe a, an abundant life, how would you describe it? What are some things, if you want to say this would be the best life ever, how would you describe an actual abundant life to our framework and our mindsets? What would it look like? Lots of kids. <laughs> yeah, lots of kids. Yeah, that's an abundant life, yeah. Some people would say, oh, I don't know, I don't want that much abundance, right? What are some other things? But yeah, offspring, family. No pain, right? No pain, no hardship of being the body falling apart. Yeah, feelings of safety, right? Not having to worry about anything. Yeah, peace, yeah. Instead of being overridden by anxiety and fear, just a peace. What are some other things? Yeah, a life of joy, of actually enjoying life and all that it has to offer. That sounds abundant, right? Chocolate, chocolate? <laughs> just straight up chocolate, Wes. <laughs> just chocolate in general, right? You're entering into the right season right now. <laughs> but even just, yeah, like pleasures of food, right? A, a beauty of an abundance. Now, now, here's the problem that we all face is we can have this, this vision of our lives and all the things that will satisfy us, all the things that will bring us joy, all the things that will bring us peace, all these things, right? But, but here's what we do as humans, is we look for those things as an end unto themselves. And we look to so many of these things apart from Christ. I mean, we all have that longing, we all have the desire, but so often we find it apart from God. And, and so think about this. Think about all the things that God has gifted what, us in this world to experience and to enjoy, and yet that we have in some form or fashion distorted. What are some things that are gifts from God that we have distorted as humans? Start throwing those at me now. Yeah, sports, play and activity just turns into an idol, right? I mean, look at what's going on in the World Cup right now. I won't go on that rant, but what are some other things? Yeah, music, right? To, to, to create something beautiful and honoring to God, and yet we have genres like death metal, you know? Sorry if you like death metal, but... <laughs> Yeah, land itself. God has gifted us with land, but instead of cultivating, carrying it, we just want to take advantage of it and serve it to selfish purposes and ends, or we take land from others, right? Selfishly. Yeah, the pursuit of beauty, exactly. God has created each person with this intrinsic value and beauty in and of themselves, and yet we set up all these false expectations and our own cultural definitions of beauty. 
Yeah, nature, right? I mean, Romans talks about this in Paul's letter to the Roman church, right? They, they created a worship of creation rather than their creator, where we can worship the animism and all these things. Yeah, appetites, right? God has given us this beautiful desire for chocolate, right? <laughs> and yet if you eat 20 pounds of chocolate, is that going to be good for you? Are you going to experience, you might be in abundance here, but not an abundance life maybe. <laughs> what are some other things? Yeah, companionship, our relationships, where we can long to be married, we can long for friendships, we can long for kids, but those things can quickly be distorted into, I don't have value or significance unless I'm a parent. I don't have value or significance unless I'm married to this person. And we distort. Now, here's the thing then is God has given us pretty much all these gifts that we long for already, and He, he tells us to enjoy them, and he, he tells them that they've been gifted out of His love for us. And yet what we do, and instead of experience the abundance of life and using these gifts that were created for our good, we distort them, and we bring about darkness and evil and injustice and selfishness into this world because of those things. We, we take what is good and we misuse it. And, and so part of John reminding us that Jesus is the life is, is for us to come to the realization that it's only when we order our life around the Logos, Jesus, that we actually get to know and practice and experience all these things that God has for us in the way that we were created for. That's how we get to experience the abundance of of life. And so I'm going to close here. I have a lot more to say, but we're already running late. But let me, let me close by saying this. The beauty of, of Jesus as the light really changes our entire perspective and worldview as to why we exist. It changes our entire perspective and worldview about where this world is heading and gives us a hope for it. And it changes our entire worldview and perspective on how we're actually supposed to live. And, and so this, this beginning of the question of finding Jesus as the light, we have to realize this transforms and changes everything. And, and my prayer and my hope for us is that as we, we walk through the season together, that we wouldn't lose sight of that. That we wouldn't lose sight of Jesus as the source and foundation for our very existence and that as we, we walk through life and make daily decisions and have daily questions and daily doubts and daily struggles, that we will continually remind ourselves of who God is, that what Jesus has accomplished, and the light that he has shown on our, lights, uh, on our lives. Let me pray to that extent as the team comes up. Gracious Father, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be God incarnate, God in flesh, to dwell among us. Lord, you are the only hope that we have to find meaning, to find a purpose in this dark world. 
You are the only hope we have to understand any possibility of this world be made right. And Lord, you are the only hope and source of hope to find out what life is truly about. And so I pray that as we go through this season called Advent, that our hearts would be drawn even closer to finding you, to knowing who you are, so that you can change us, so that you can transform us. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that's experiencing despair, that's experiencing darkness in their life, that's feeling a sense of hopelessness or feeling a sense of lostness. I pray that they would look to you as their light and that they would have this hope set before them that is only found in you, the great I am, God himself, the great Logos and who we can orient our lives around and never find disappointment, never find rejection, but simply love and acceptance and the life of abundance that you desire for us. And so I pray that we would long for this abundant life and that we would have the wisdom to follow you to live that abundance of life. We thank you for that gift you give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.